This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Stephen G. Post, the author of a new book entitled God and Love and Route 80, The Hidden Mystery of Human Connectedness. Please listen to podcast number 735, where Greg and Dr. Post discuss his personal story, which is filled with faith, love, and fate. Compelled by a persistent and mysterious dream of a blue angel, Stephen leaves behind his family, friends, and a routine life in New Hampshire in favor of thumbing a ride across the continent on a spontaneous road trip adventure. You won't want to miss this engaging discussion and the life lessons learned as a result of his faith in God while following his intuition and listening to his soul's calling. Please listen to podcast number 735 with author Dr. Stephen G. Post about his new book, God and Love and Route 80. For more information, please visit his website at www.stephengpost.com or www.unlimitedloveinstitute.org. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyson, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And we have Jesse Meacham on. Did I say that right, Jesse? Very close. We said Meacham. Meacham. Uh, Jesse is uh, not only an author, but he's the author of a wonderful piece of software called You Need a Budget. Um, they are out of Utah. And what city are you located in Utah? Uh, I'm in the tiny little town that's growing called Lehigh. Um, Lehigh, okay. Few, yeah, a few of us here. The, the rest of the 90 or so team members are all remote. So people work from home or wherever they'd like. A great business model, and obviously you have folks that work all over the state of Utah for you, answering phones and training people, and uh, wonderful um, environment for that. And the book is "You Need a Budget: The Proven System for Breaking the Paycheck to Paycheck Cycle, Getting Out of Debt, and Living the Life You Want." Uh, Jesse is the founder of "You Need a Budget," the award-winning personal finance platform. You can get to that platform just by you need a budget.com. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. It's really quite a, a, I don't know, educational website. When you enter it, it just has a great feel. You can get a 34 day free trial of the budgeting software. I started with Jeffy in 2014. And so I know this program well, and that was before he's done all these amazing updates to it as well. So Jesse, you have a uh, a great story, and I'm going to let my listeners know a tad bit about you. He founded in 2004 uh, to help himself and his wife, Julie, uh, watch their money. And a lot of things are birthed this way, a bit small business. Um, studying for his master's of accountancy at Brigham Young University at time, he put his numbered wizardy to work to develop the system to track their expenses, and that's what became you need a budget. Uh, he lives in Utah with his family, as we just said. And Jesse, I think let's start this interview off that way. You know, you've this successful software company at 90 employees. Uh, you guys have been at it for a while from 2004. You formed it with the antenna helping people uh, get away from living paycheck to paycheck. Tell a little bit about the story, your story, so we can put some context uh, behind why you wrote the book in particular, because you had the software and the book came after the software. Yeah, absolutely. The, the book w really came about because, well, I should back up even further. When I originally built just the spreadsheet and started selling that, we were just trying to make 
ends meet, more or less. We didn't have a lot of money at all, and we were just trying to get through school, and we had a new baby on the way, our first, and young and married, and all those things that come with it. So um, we we just tried to make ends meet, and, and uh, selling this little budgeting spreadsheet I'd made just for the two of us was starting to do the job. And about a year later, um, that was when I thought, well, we should maybe have this be real software and not a spreadsheet. So we quickly moved away from the spreadsheet and had some real software built. But along the way of building that and trying to sell it, I realized that we had a method to the management of the money. And it wasn't, it wasn't because of the spreadsheet or the fancy software. It was just a way of thinking about money differently than I had seen. And it was proven to be very effective for us and for the people that were jumping on and, and using the software with us. And that method, we, there's just four rules, but um, we've been teaching that now for, you know, gosh, 15 years. And uh, the software improves and becomes technically more and more uh, amazing over time, but the method really hasn't changed at all. It's just these four rules that you follow. And the book was an attempt to kind of codify that and make yeah. it more broadly available. Yeah. Well, you, you did an excellent job of it, by the way, and I just want to acknowledge Thank you. you. You know, and you mentioned in the book and you say it at the website too, you know, it's, um, it, I think it's echoes throughout everything. Your message to people is that, you know, you can come paralyzed when it comes to budgeting. And I think people think of it as this arduous just task, you know, oh my God, I've got to do this. So what are the reasons that we become so paralyzed and most people psychologically are just aren't willing to take the action? Or if they do, it's the last thing they do. It's postponement, postponement. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that, well, there are a couple. One is that we think that what we're about to embark on with this idea of budgeting, that we, we think it's going to be restrictive, that all the fun has now been sucked out of life, um, that it'll be more like prison and far from any kind of paradise. And that can be very daunting. So, of course, you aren't going to have a lot of people voluntarily walk into a situation that they think will be, uh, sad, depressing, demoralizing, restrictive, no fun. Those are all things we associate with budgeting. Um, if you don't have that association, then you may have another one that's also really negative, and that's that you think the budget needs to be perfect or that you need to be perfect in following it. So people will often set up a budget, and then immediately life changes a little bit, as it always does. And then they say, oh, budgeting doesn't work because this or that thing happened. I didn't predict it. I didn't have a crystal ball, at least not one that functions very well. And so budgeting doesn't work. And so we're scared of the supposed restriction of a budget, which is completely false, or we're just af afraid that it has to be perfect. Both of those things will stop us dead in our tracks. So true. So true. Now, just out of curiosity, what do you believe, and I know what the difference is because I used your software for so long and I'm going to go back again and start using it. The difference between Mint, which is owned by uh, Quicken, and you guys. I mean, you know, when yeah. you look out there, all right, Mint throws you these reminders all the time, blah, 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 but there truly is a huge difference between you and Mint. There are, yeah. We, we take a lot of we, Mint is one of our best lead generators. We get a lot of people that say, I've tried Mint, and then they, they come to us later. So there's something that they're looking for that, that uh, we hope to deliver. And I, I compare, and this isn't to disparage Mint, that it's a fine piece of software for what it offers. 
Um, but what, what we're trying to do is get people to think about their money differently, not just report on what your money has done, but we want people to decide what their money should do. And that little change, it may sound slight, but that makes all the difference in whether or not your money starts to line up with what you actually care about or whether you're just looking back and saying, oh, we shouldn't have eaten out that much or, oh, we shouldn't have done this or I can't believe that. Or, I mean, even worse, blaming, you know, your partner or spouse on that situation. So um, Mint is much more about looking back and telling you what you did. And YNAB is about looking forward and deciding what you want to do. So, and is that the difference between budgeting and forecasting? Uh, forecasting, when we say budgeting, there's a, there's a subtle difference, but it's, it's big. When we say, well, I should say this, when we say budgeting, we mean that you take money that you have on hand right now, not that you'll earn in a week or even tomorrow, but once money is in your hand, then you say, what should this money do before I'm paid again? That is the budgeting question. Mm -hmm. When people forecast, they're looking usually further ahead and they're saying, how much money will I earn? How much money will I have? And you can forecast to do things like large planning to figure out when you could retire, to figure out what college education might cost. I mean, who knows what that will be. But all of that forecasting will help you kind of look further down the field and get a feel for these large swings, large investments, large costs that you may have to deal with. But when it comes to budgeting, we don't want to say, oh, I'll earn this money, therefore I can spend whatever. We want to say, I have this money in my hand, what should it do? Because we, we're taking a resource and we're making it finite. With forecasting, you can deal with infinite resources. You can just forecast more money. Right. But with budgeting, you have to just have that scarcity mindset and you embrace it where you say, hey, this is all I have. So if I give money over here, I can't have money over there that zero-based budgeting concept, which is essentially our first rule, that makes all the difference in having people really flesh out their priorities. What are those other three rules? Because you mentioned four. You just yeah, the, clicked that on first the first rule, one. Yep. Yeah, give every dollar a job is the first rule. Just prioritize. The second rule is to embrace your true expenses. It means you aren't just thinking about what you have to do right now, but what your money should be doing for larger, less frequent expenses. So maybe Christmas comes in December every single year. And you could decide what you want to spend on Christmas, divide by 12, and now you have a Christmas bill that you're essentially paying yourself every single month. So that's a true expense or vacation or property taxes or life insurance premium, any number of large, less frequent expenses. They're really monthly expenses, or at least that's how you should consider them when you're going back to rule one and you're prioritizing and weighing what you want your money to do. The third rule, we say roll with the punches, which means as life happens, you should be changing your mind and changing your budget as needed without any feeling of guilt. Actually, you should feel really good. You should feel like you're winning when you're moving money around and kind of, well, rolling with the punches and being flexible on what life's dealing and then how you're handling. Uh, the fourth rule is to age your money. And we want people to get away from financial stress because it's, it's a killer in so many ways. We want them to say, when, this money that I'm spending right now, this dollar, when did I earn it? Did I earn it yesterday? That means that dollar is a day old. Or did I earn it 30 days ago? It's a 30-day-old dollar. We want to get people to a point where they're spending money this month that they earned last month. And it, it makes all the difference in the world. That's our, that's our fourth rule. Well, those are very basic rules, and you've had them from the beginning. 
And I think the important thing is, is it helps somebody to really develop a really good budget and to use the software in conjunction with it. I mean, the book is great, but really the people that are listening today, you should go up there and get the 34 day free trial. Um, just try this software out because um, I got hooked right away. Um, it is, and it's easy to use. It's, it's not cumbersome. The user interface is wonderful. You have apps for iOS and Android. You've got everything that you need. Now, I was listening to a newscast the other day, and they mentioned that the average credit card debt is approximately 15000 per household yeah. in America. Um, yeah. What recommendation would you have to eliminate credit card debt and to stay out of debt? I mean, you've been somebody that's yeah. helping people budget, and that's one of those things where it's just so easy, right? You just pick up the credit card and go buy something, right? But yeah. This, yeah. this is a huge problem in the U.S. Yeah, banks uh, and credit card companies, they need to make more money, right? They always are looking to make more money. And the way they can make, one of the ways they can make more money is by having you spend on a credit card in an easier and easier way. So look in the technology space, I'm really keen on looking at this space, but you'll see a lot of themes around having everything be seamless, automatic, without a lot of thought. And in some instances, that's really useful, but in many, it's, it's doing more for the bank and less for the user. And so what we wanna do is just counter that automatic um, sucking sound that happens near everyone's wallets. And we wanna have you be intentional with your budgeting. So we aren't saying where you spend your money. In the book, it doesn't say at all, you shouldn't spend here or you should spend here. It just asks you to find out what your priorities are and then have your money do those things. And it's amazing how often people will say, well, one of my priorities is not sending these monthly payments to a credit card company every single month without fail. And so they naturally say, I want this to be gone. The debt isn't bad on its face, but it's keeping your money, sometimes a large portion of your money, from doing what you really want it to do. So we want people to get out of debt because we want their money to be deployed doing things that are fun, things that are in line with their priorities, things that move them ahead financially. And credit card debt does not, in any sense of the word, move you ahead financially. So that's the big part is you just start budgeting and you'll find that there's money freed up, not because you've started quote unquote saving or being extremely frugal, but you've just started being more intentional. You'll find extra money and then tackle that debt as fast as your priorities allow it. And there are all kinds of strategies to do that. But the, the biggest point is you get clear on what those priorities are, and then you just run with them. And uh, you'll yeah, feel I, peaceful while at the same time you'll feel urgency, if that makes any sense. Well, I think that, like we said, that it, having those credit cards there can make it so easy. And it's not just oh, credit yeah. cards. It's all the debt that you choose to get into. But, you know, I speak from personal experience, and I'm definitely quite uh, vulnerable. You know, I went through a chapter 13, so I know what it's like and um, it can be extremely painful and quite stressful. Um, you know, you mentioned that you're not saving for your six children's college education, which yeah. I thought was kind of interesting the way you put this. Yeah. Um, you know, and everybody out there who knows about 529 plans, and putting money away for their kids' education fund, they just might be doing that as they're listening to us, but specifically so that you can teach them how not to go into debt to fund college. Uh, 
can you explain a little bit more about your theory here? Because it's a bit contrarian um, yes. based on current philosophy, but I actually like it. I actually wish, um, Jesse, I'm quite a bit older than you, that I hadn't <laughs> signed my students, my kids' students' loans because I'm still paying on them and I'm 65. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. There you go. Well, it might it might go all the way back, and I'm I'm not an expert in parenting, and this is maybe just as much to do with parenting as it is with finances. So, I give that caveat right out of the gate. It's sad that you have to be a parent when you don't know what you're doing, and then when about you know what you're doing, you're no longer really parenting; you're grandparenting. You know, so that's just the way things work. And so, that, with that caveat, I will say this: this the base of this is probably that I tell my kids often that my wife Julie, she's number one for me, number one, without exception. And they are a distant, collectively, these six kids I have, you know, they, they are a collective number two. And the distance between one and two is so far that uh, they would be shocked. And I tell my kids this fairly regularly. So when I'm saying I'm going out with your mom tonight, we, got, we get to go on our date, you guys stay home, and they complain, I just say, listen, people, I gotta go on a date with this lady because that's the most important thing to me. And you all just, you know, survive. That's the kind of mentality I, I have. And there's a lot of joking and couching that and smiling and fun. And they know I love them. But they also know that I love their mom a lot more. So that's number one. Number two is when we're talking about helping our kids, that same priority, I feel it still with me. I think, well, my number one is Julie, right? So it's not to pay for these kids' school. I, I don't want to be paying for their school when Julie and I are traveling or doing any other things. I want to be just focused on that. And so that's number two. The third and maybe biggest, even though I, I listed it last, is I want my kids to think, I want my kids to feel loved. I want them to be honest. And I want them to have faith and know how to work hard. If, they, if I've done that as a parent, I, I don't know what else I need to do. Like they, they feel love for me. They know I love them unconditionally. They know how to work hard. They're honest. They have faith. I, I've checked every box. There are only four boxes. I feel like if I've given them those four, they can handle school. They can figure out how to finance it. And I don't mean go into debt. I mean funded. I should say funded. They can figure out um, how to do it cheaper. They can figure out how to make their own way. And I can support and cheerlead all along the way. And I can let them raid the fridge when they come home. They can take all the food they want. <laughs> but I, I, I want that to be my biggest priority, that love, honesty, work ethic, and faith. And then well, I'm not going to worry about those, those other details. Yeah. And while that's more of a parenting thing, um, which it is, it's, it's the, I guess, the ethics and the morals in which you raise your children. And it's a choice. Um, but I would say today, you know, with the cost of education. Um, yeah. If you looked at six children and you said the average cost of an education was two hundred thousand oh, dollars, you'd be gosh, looking at yeah. one point two million dollars <laughs> in actual, you know, cost to do yeah. that. So yeah, it's it's fine for you to to go ahead and move forward with that the way you've chosen to do it, you know. So you and if you someone if someone were to come to me and, and say well, I really want to help my kids with their school because my parents helped me and I loved that and I was grateful. I, I would never say, oh, no, no, that's all wrong. It, it, schooling, is, it's not some special thing. It's just another priority for our money. Right. And I have a priority that's saying that and someone else has a priority that's saying something different. And 
it's it's up to everyone to decide. It's like you saying, well, I, I like to um, eat Wagyu beef, and I say, oh, I like to eat uh, sushi. You know, at that point, we're like, oh, well, we have a difference in taste. The zeros change at the end of those price tags, but it's still people personally trying to figure it out. And I'm not parenting your kid, and you aren't parenting mine, and so we have to kind of just say, oh, how interesting, and then um, you know, listen hard, and then make sure we, we're making our own call. Well, I, I like your personal philosophy around it. And I think that people can take away from this what they want, right? It's all a matter of choice. Um, and, but I do like it. You know, I wish that I had, um, when I look back many, many years ago, done that because, you know, you can stick yourself in this revolving debt kind of situations. And yeah. I will tell you one thing. Most people out there probably don't know this, but you can file a chapter 13, but that doesn't mean that your um, student loans go away. They never go away. They um, never go away. They never go away. That they're very yeah. special. They never go away. IRS debt never goes away and neither does that. Yeah. Now you mentioned that accountability is dealing with the truth of every decision we make. What would you tell our listeners about becoming more accountable about their budget, their money, their debt, um, whatever. Yeah, I think one way you might find it, and you don't really find this in the book explicitly, but it's not about you. It's not about the person becoming more accountable, like, oh, I'm so bad with money. It's really, you need to say, man, my money has been so bad, right? My, these dollars have been misbehaving for a long time. And then you say, you know, and I'm tired of it. I think I should be a little more like a drill sergeant and less like a pushover and start to just dictate what your money should do. Treat them like very obedient soldiers instead of spoiled children. And watch how your mindset starts to change. It's not that you've been bad. You've just kind of let the money and the marketers, by extension, do whatever it wants. And we don't want that. So... It's, it's on you. You're, you are the master of your fate. You are the drill sergeant. You are the general. You are the czar. And you can tell your money exactly what to do. And money is extremely obedient when it's told what to do. We just most of the time live our lives never letting it know what we want. And so don't stop the beating up on, oh, I'm so bad with money. And just start saying, oh, no, no, my money's just been misbehaving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write the shit. I like how you do that. It's a it's a juxtaposition of who's responsible, but it's it's very important. Um, you know, you have a chapter on age your money. You speak about having a pile of cash in your bank account, but what is really important is how long the stockpile will be there in the account. Speak with the listeners because even since my chapter thirteen, um, I've been able to stockpile it, and I've been offered bank. Uh, bank cards again, and credit cards sure. that I don't use, right? And I think once you have an event like what I went through, you say, oh, stockpiling that money. Yeah, and I've been able to stockpile since the chapter 13, uh, high six-figure numbers in um, Charles Schwab accounts. But mm -hmm. the key is going back to work again and writing the wrong, right? And, you know, talk with the listeners about that if you would. Yeah, the, the idea of aging your money isn't about um, retiring or like, you know, building a big nest egg. It's really a, still about a monthly cash flow uh, solution to a problem that's causing a lot of stress. So normally when someone, the, the normal 
routine for people is they're paid on a Friday or something. And by Monday, most of that money is already gone. The average checking account balance for someone that starts with us is about $300. And that doesn't mean that that's the high. It means that it goes high right after payday and then it drops precipitously and then hovers somewhere below 300 and you get to this average. So people are sitting at what most would consider a fairly stressful balance in their main operating account. The nine months later, coincidentally, or not coincidentally, but incidentally, with um, wine Abers, nine months later, they're at about $3,000 in their main operating account. And a year later, it's usually up to six. So there's, there's a big change there. And all it is is people being more intentional and aware they're following those first three rules. The fourth rule, age and your money, kind of happens on its own. But that idea of just operating on that financial edge where what I earn today, I spend tomorrow or maybe the next day, we just want to get to a point where what you earn today, you don't spend for 30 to 60 days. Imagine a dollar just coming into your system and then just sitting there for a while until it's finally needed. There are wine average that have, you know, they've, they're spending a dollar they earned half a year ago. And it's not because the, the balance is so huge, but it's because they're setting money aside for longer term expenses, for a vacation, for some taxes, whatever it may be. And so you just want to get to where that money, we're spending baby money. You know, we're sending, we're sending dollars out that were just born. And we're just, we want to think about the dollars like a good wine, you know, aging it over time, having it be a little wiser before we send it out. And that's, that's all that is. It's not anything special that you do. You just follow those first three rules and watch as that checking account balance climbs over time and you step further and further away from that stressful financial edge. Well, Jesse, it's a philosophy that's worked uh, for you guys for 15 years, and it's obviously worked for your uh, clients that are using the software. How many um, actual subscribers do does YNAB have now? We have many. I don't actually disclose it just for privacy okay. reasons, but okay. but we're we're growing um, very fast. And Pretty astronomical. Like it's a big. Yeah. It's a big number. Okay. Yeah. So why is it? So challenging. And this is my last question, kind of wrap this up and then we'll go to a summary um, for couples to sit down and do a budget. And what if, if the values of each partner are different, right? So lots of marriages, as we know, end over money issues. It's either too much, too little, too late. Um, what advice would you have for couples about, hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to do this budget together, which is in some cases like pulling teeth because one side doesn't have any interest in doing a budget. They have zero interest in it. The other side is very worried about the money. So how do you help to get people to come together? The, the one, one thing that you want to do, and there, there's so much that the whole chapter is really useful, but um you, the one thing that you really want to recognize is that it's not about money and don't make the initial conversations about money. Don't talk about dollars at all. It's really fun to warm things up and kind of grease the skids by just having conversations around. And this is a little bit of a cheat and it's not gossipy, but just say, um, ask and talk to each other about what your parents were like with money, because it's very easy to talk about your parents with each other. And it's really hard to talk about yourselves and how you are with money. So just, warm up by saying what were your parents like with money and you'll learn a ton uh, just a whole bunch about oh that's why when i say this he reacts this way or she says this back and 
you'll just get some context for it. But you aren't talking about the two of you in this high stakes situation. You're just casually kind of gossiping about your parents and what they did with money. And it's very informative. From there, still don't talk about money, but maybe in the next weekend for another date, have a good bit of the conversation and make the meal really good. Have a good bit of the conversation around what you want, not, not with money, but just what kind of things do we want out of life? And it's hard to not have money creep back in quickly because it kind of invades everything, you know, but try really hard to just say, well, what would you, what do you want in the next three months? Is there something you want to buy? Yes. Let's not talk about price, but just put a pin in that. What about in a year? Do we want to go on vacation and just kind of aspire for the dinner? and write down everything. It's more of a brainstorm. There's no critiquing, really. We don't want to question stuff. We just want to throw things out there. That will also spur fantastic and very fun conversation. Um, one of the conversations that we do kind of a burn down every year, Julie and I do, and we just kind of say, okay, no, you know, no assumptions, no um, cruft, nothing held back. Just if everything were to be gone and we were to start again, what will we want our money to do? And it's a really, really fun conversation. It's what spurred our doing a, a little three-month trip with the family to New York and living there for a crazy three months. And so this conversation, it, it will spur a lot. It'll be a lot of fun. Finally, once that's all done, you can just say with this big list, you can say, how would we, how would we pay for these things that are most important? What if we made funding this list one of our most important priorities? Sure, the lights need to stay on, water needs to flow out of a faucet, things like that. But I, I want people to have the first two, three, four hours of their conversations, maybe spread over two or three dates, to not involve money at all. Involve your parents in money context, because that will teach you a lot, and then involve just your aspirations. From there, suddenly you, it starts to get the thinking around what money could do for you instead of money being a bludgeon for one partner and, um, you know, this just something that just evokes so much fear from another person or um, guilt-inducing or any number of negative emotions. So remove the money, just talk about aspirations, and then slowly work it back in. And one more little tactic, know that one person will likely be better at it than the other as it relates to just the nerdy kind of nitty-gritty stuff. And that's mm -hmm. totally okay. You just got to plan together, but another person can run off and implement more readily. Well, the advice is very sounded, it's grounded, it's uh, fundamental. Um, and I love the way you approached it because, you know, you said you're not talking about money first. You're talking about your dreams, your aspirations. You know, where are we going? What are we going to do? What do we want this money to do? And that shifts the whole conversation. It shifts it away from, you know, us talking about the nitty gritty right off the bat. Um, and, I, and I love that approach. It was excellent. Um, Jesse. Uh, if there was any one last thing you'd like to leave with the listening audience today regarding um, you need a budget and your book and your website and the software, what would you want to tell our listeners? We're going to have uh, uh, links to the blog, to the book, yeah. uh, to your website. Anything you'd like to leave them with? The, uh, the book is agnostic as far as the tool goes. So read the book, learn the principles and know that it doesn't sell anything as far as the tool and the principles are sound whether or not you you go with our software or 
roll your own spreadsheet. I mean, I'd never fault you for building your own spreadsheet, right? That's exactly what I did. So just know that those principles are there. They're sound. They're proven. They're working for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And um, that's, that's my message, not selling anything. Well, I guess the book, but you can get it at the library. So I'm not actually trying to sell anything there. Just learn the principles, see where it takes you. And that would make me as happy as I could possibly be. Well, you're transforming the way people look at and interact with money through what you've done. And I want to thank you for that because it is a problem that, you know, we've had. I'm not certain that it's going to go away anytime soon because it's really all about behavior, um, behavior modification and the way in which we approach that. That's why you're on Inside Personal Growth, because this show endeavors to help people shift those habits and those behaviors. Uh, and this is one way to do it is to actually use a tool like you need a budget, uh, read the book. Uh, as Jesse just said, if you want to go out and do your own spreadsheet, he's going to, he's fine with that. doesn't really matter, but uh, to help you more than anything. And that's what we're here for. Um, Jesse and I are here to help you. Uh, for my listeners, we've been on with Jesse Meacham. Um, the book is called You Need a Budget. Uh, the software is the same. Uh definitely go out and click on the link inside of our blog and get Jesse's book. Jesse, thanks for being on the show and spending a few minutes with our listeners um, talking about uh, not only your software, but the theories and the practical applications that people can put to work uh, by reading your book. Thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. 